Hey there. If you've listened to this show for a while, you might remember our pal, Jared Walker. And if not, you should meet him. He is the guy who went super viral on TikTok with a 60-second recipe for crushing medical debts, starting with the fact that nonprofit hospitals, that is, most U.S. hospitals, are required to have financial assistance or charity care policies. This is going to sound weird, but what that means is that if uh, you make under a certain amount of money, the hospital legally has to forgive your medical bills. That video got seen about 10 million times in its first few days and a lot more after that. And at the end of it, Jared offered to help folks apply. And two things happened. One, he got a ton of requests for help. And two, he got a bunch of super smart, super committed volunteers to help him provide that help. That was last year. Those volunteers helped Jared build a whole system for getting people help quickly. And Jared started holding open trainings on Zoom, teaching people how to help other people apply for financial assistance. It was all super impressive to watch. And all of that would be a lot. But this year... He's launched into something potentially bigger. A grant let him hire a couple people for another project to help people they hadn't been able to help before. And honestly, so far, this new project has been harder than they thought. But they're learning a ton along the way. And some of what they're learning is immediately useful for us. So let's go. This is An Arm and a Leg, a show about why healthcare costs so freaking much and what we can maybe do about it. I'm Dan Weissman. I'm a reporter, and I like a challenge. So our job on this show is to take one of the most enraging, terrifying, depressing parts of American life and bring you something entertaining, empowering, and useful. Here's Jared's new project. He figures about a third of people in the U.S. could qualify for the type of financial assistance from hospitals he's been focusing on so far. There's income cutoffs. And a third is a lot of people. A lot more people than that could easily get stuck with a medical bill they can't pay, even if their income isn't low enough to qualify for that assistance. These are the people that, you know, they get the $5,000 medical bill, and it's like a game changer. I mean, this is a lot of us. We have deductibles in the thousands of dollars, and we don't have thousands of dollars just lying around. And here's the other thing. A lot of the time, if you can reach the right person, whoever's sending you that bill may be willing to settle for less, to make a deal. So Jared wanted to pair patients with skilled advocates who could help get that deal made, which sounded great to me. I'd love to have somebody experienced on my side, somebody who knows how this stuff works, somebody who isn't me quaking in my boots. That's what we hear from patients all the time is like, you know, I have anxiety about this. I'm terrified. Jared's early testing showed him how big a difference it can make to have somebody experienced and confident on the case. I was on a call and and we got a no. You know, it was just like a flat out, no, there's nothing we can do. And, uh, you know, we, we hang up and I call the patient back and patient's super down and it's like, oh, like, thanks for trying. And I was like, oh, like, no, we're calling again. I'm just going to ask for somebody else. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't give a shit that they said that, you know, it's like, because I know that something can be done. I, you just got to get to the right person or, uh, you know, whatever. This summer, I got to observe the program in action. Oh, and I got to meet Jared in person when my family was on the West Coast this summer. We met up in Vancouver, Washington, where Jared lives and works. And I saw the office where he shot that original TikTok video. Before we went in, he let me know he hadn't been there himself for months. He and his wife used to live just a three-minute walk away in a tiny apartment. But last winter, they moved. And their new place, it's farther away. And... He's got some space to work there. So before he opened the door, 
he wasn't totally sure what we were going to find on the other side. I'm nervous about this. Oh, yeah, it's a shit show. Here it is. Wow. <laughs> All my plants have died. Oh, it's a ghost town. Man, these are terrible. Jared collected his mail. We walked over to a park to talk. One big update. The system that Jared and his team have built for their original hospital charity care project has continued to get more sophisticated. These days, you go to his group's website, dollarford.org, and plug in your information to see if you qualify for financial assistance according to your hospital's policies. Now, if you're found eligible on our website, you have two choices. Do you want us to do this for you? Or there's a self-advocacy track where they can just take the info and run, and we give them all the you know, tips, tricks, tools to do it. Those resources are cool. And if you get stuck, you can always get help from a volunteer by text or on the phone. And you can always say, this is too tough. Can you guys take over? If you want $4 to file your application for you, that is handled by somebody on staff. You're handing that person your bank statements, stuff like that. Jared says they've cleared more than $18 million in medical bills this way, closer to $19 million. And I should mention, patients never get charged a dime for this assistance. $4 is doing it for free. But now there's a new issue, finding more people to help. Jared says they can now serve hundreds of people a week. And most weeks, they don't get nearly that many requests. So priority number one right now, other than just, you know, getting the money to make sure we can continue the work is how do we get more patients? It's so interesting because a year ago, right, you're, the question was like, how will we ever clear the backlog? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now you're like, how can we get, how can we build the pipeline? Yeah, I mean, it's weird too, because like, at that point, I was thinking, how do we ever build capacity to to meet this need? And if that were to happen today, I don't think we would miss a single patient. I mean, this is a great problem for him to have. He is looking at collaborations with groups that have relationships with lots of patients, like associations for specific conditions, who could use Dollar for his help, and He's thinking about PR, other ways to get people's attention, you know, beyond TikTok. Like, who's on TikTok? Young people. Like, who has medical bills? Uh, a lot of old people have medical bills. Like, how do we reach out to them? Meanwhile, Jared and his colleagues have spent the last couple of months negotiating with bill collectors for people who don't qualify for help through the charity care side of things. And after I got back home, I got to sit in while Jared's colleague Eli Rushbanks did a little negotiating. That's right after this. This episode of An Arm and a Leg is produced in partnership with Kaiser Health News. That's a nonprofit newsroom covering healthcare in America. Kaiser Health News is not affiliated with the healthcare giant Kaiser Permanente. We'll have more information about KHN at the end of this episode. So here's where I listen in on what Jared and Dollar Four are calling the negotiation lab with Jared's colleague Eli. And there were limits to what I could tape. It can be a crime to record somebody without their okay. And laws are different in every state. And we didn't know what state the person on the other side of the call would be in. So Eli made his calls by phone, and I listened to his side on Zoom. For this negotiation lab, this experiment, $4 has been pulling the records of people who filled out the form at $4.org and didn't qualify for financial assistance and getting in touch with them. When Eli gets this patient on the phone, he explains the setup. They're going to try and help her by negotiation. Another bite at the apple, he says. Then it's down to business. So I wanted to get an update from you as to where you're at with your bills. 
So I have two bills, one that is in collection. Both of her bills are connected with the birth of her son about four years ago, both for around $1,700. Parts her insurance didn't pay. Eli lays out his strategy. Usually the leverage that we have for a debt that's this old is to offer the debt collector sort of like one in the hand is better than two in the bush type of type of argument. In other words, offer an upfront lump sum that's lower than the full amount. He asks, is there an amount that if the collector offered, she'd just say yes to? And she's not sure. Um, We're just kind of um, living paycheck to paycheck. Actually, she says her family is paying credit cards with credit cards right now. Eli says he can get the debt sent back to the hospital, try and get a deal from them. But this hospital, he's looking at their financial assistance policy. They're stingy. It's probably not going to work. And it's also probably why she didn't qualify for financial assistance there in the first place. So Eli's thinking, let's just call the debt collectors, see what they might do. So does that sound good for you? Yeah. Okay. I can do all the talking with the debt collector once you give them permission to talk with me. Well, not so fast. In the lab, there's always something new to learn, new little hurdles that can come up. All the extra steps, the time sucks. This time, after Eli's colleague, Abby, dials the number for the collector, Eli and I sit on hold for a few minutes, and then... So the debt collector is saying that they are uh, not allowed to do three-way calls. The patient has to tell them to expect Eli's call, get off the phone, and then Eli is supposed to dial in directly. Ten minutes later, Eli gets a text... They're expecting his call, or, you know, they should be. Hi there. Uh, my name is Eli Rushbanks. I'm a patient advocate at Dollar Four, and I'm calling on behalf of one of our patients who just called in and gave permission for you to talk to me. I'm supposed to speak to an Angela. There's a couple of minutes of Eli explaining why he's calling, on whose behalf, and then another eight minutes on hold. And then Eli's back to his spiel. Hi, my name is Eli Rushbanks. I'm calling from Dollar Four. I believe that you just spoke to a patient I'm trying to help out. He gives the name, says he's looking for information, and then listens. And is there an expiration date on that offer? Later, Eli tells me what the other person said next. They were expecting him to be coming to the phone with cash in hand. He clears that up, says he's just trying to get some information, starts asking questions. Is there interest accruing on this account? And when did it uh, end up in your office? More questions. Has this already hit the patient's credit report? Is there an expiration date when this moves to some other collector? And? Do you guys have a policy to or not to sue on accounts? From what Eli says next, it sounds like he's getting some pushback. Uh, I'm just getting information about about where we're we're at. Uh, It takes another minute and a half for Eli to squeeze in one last question. Did you guys purchase this from the hospital or was it was it just referred for collection? He confirms they bought it. Okay. Um, All right. That is helpful information for me to have. And I appreciate your time. Okay. Bye. So she tried to hang up on me. This was after Eli's first couple of questions. She said, my understanding was you were calling to make a payment. You're just asking a bunch of questions about our company. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. But we learned a lot. Eli gets his patient back on the line, explains what he's learned. How are you doing? Good, good. So I talked to the collector and I learned some things that are useful. The headline is, they said they'd accept $784.48 cash upfront, which is a lot less than the 1700 they've been chasing her for. 
Um, okay. So that's good to know. But I think it's possible that you or we could do better than that because we learned that they purchased this debt from the hospital. And that's good news. It means they're not collecting for the hospital, not under a contract with the hospital that might limit how much of a discount they could give. So we could offer them anything under the sun and they don't have to take it, but at least they could take it. Um, Mm -hmm. We also learned that interest is not accruing and that they uh, don't sue for debts. This is also good news. It means this is a problem that isn't likely to get worse. With the one big exception is that they could always then sell this to another debt buyer down the road who may may decide that they're going to be more aggressive, may accrue interest, and may may try to sue for it. Eli's like, what do you think about this $784.48? She's like, that's a lot better. Maybe I could put it on a credit card. Eli says he'd hate to see her do that because then she'd be accruing interest, which isn't happening now. Also, if she fell behind on the credit card, she could get a fresh ding on her credit. This one's already hit her credit report. Eli hopes, best case, maybe he could get that taken off if she settles it with this collector. He asks her, is there an amount you might be able to save up, say, if you had a month, that we could try offering them? She says she could probably get $100 a week. That's what they try to put away for an emergency fund. Eli proposes a strategy based on what he's learned from that woman at the collector's office and what he knows about how these folks operate. So she technically, she, didn't, she wouldn't give me an expiration date for the offer of 784.48. She claims that that had been extended before, which I don't know if that's true or not. And so she said, quote unquote, technically it had already expired, but she would accept it today. So Eli thinks it's likely this offer will still be there in a month or two. And he thinks if they come back in a month with, say, 400 in cash, there might be a conversation to have. Because if these folks bought this debt, they bought it cheap. We don't know what they purchased this for, but sometimes it's pennies on the dollar. So they might've bought this debt from the hospital for, they they might've only spent a couple hundred bucks on it, if that. And right now they're spending money, calling her, sending her letters. 400 bucks might sound okay to them. He proposes putting a date on the calendar. He'll call her again. And if she's got some cash together, he's going to help her pitch it to the collection folks. Without having any cash to work with today, I, th- I think it's going to be tough to do much, but we yeah. might we might be close enough to, to get it there then. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. They set a date in late September. And that gives you about six weeks, and we'll give them a call and see if we can, if we can knock it out then. Okay, sounds good. Okay, perfect. Uh, we'll Thank talk to you so then. Much. Yeah, have a good one. You too. Right. Eli and I debrief for a minute. So that's how, that's how a lot of those go. A lot of these calls end with that, where I, we try to help people kind of coach to a, to a dollar figure they're aiming for. And we put a, a time on, we haven't been doing it long enough to know if those are, if those are going to work or not, mm-hmm. if we're going to follow up in a month and if they're going to have saved any money. He says there are easier cases, situations where someone's being chased for 7,000 bucks, say, and they can offer two or three. Those are the ones where it's more likely. Um, these ones where people have no extra money yeah. are, are tough. It was tough to listen to, tough to hear somebody say they're putting credit card bills on credit cards and being chased for medical bills on top of that. I ask how he's feeling, having been doing this for a couple months. Um, I am <laughs> I'm feeling like I have to learn every lesson the hard way, and that's just how it's always been. <laughs> He says he and Jared, they've worked together for years. They've always wanted to focus on immediate 
boots on the ground ways to help individual people. Access to charity care turned out to be something they could scale up. This is looking different. We definitely have successes, but there are definitely things that we run into where I see exactly why all of these like big successful organizations do policy work because you just, you just can't, (laughs) can't get there um, for some of these boots on the ground cases. And, And if you can, it takes so much time, effort, persistence that it, it can't scale. This is more or less what Jared told me when we sat on that park bench in July. When he was getting ready to start the negotiation lab, Jared was thinking they'd develop a flowchart, a set of scripts, even videos where they'd use recordings from their own phone calls to show how this kind of negotiation works, a curriculum for self-help and to train volunteers, maybe even an automated system. But now... He's not so sure they're ever going to be able to boil it down to a system. They've been working on the flowchart, adding to it every time they run into a new angle. And it's incredibly hairy. New angles all the time. He pulls out his phone. Trying to log into this flowchart. I want to show you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. uh, What is my password? He pulls it up. We look at a bubble for the hospital phase where you're negotiating directly with a hospital, not an outside debt collector. Draft and send to hospital a settlement offer. Uh, if they say yes, we win. Yeah, if they say yes, we win. Uh, if they say no, you know, next steps, blah, blah, blah. Call the person who denied the negotiation. Blah, blah. And then, like, but well, the reason I say, like, we're not ever going to be able to to systematize this uh, and automate it is because every single one of these little blocks is time. And it's not a little amount of time. It's like write a letter, wait on hold, talk to this person, get to the supervisor, like, you know, call the debt collector, ask, because there's so much time on the phone. They wear you down. I mean, not everybody can be worn down. Jared tells me about Steve, who he describes as a volunteer who does not F around. He will run a case until he gets the desired outcome. And they think we'll just wear him down. And they do. They do it all the time. Uh, but not with Steve. <laughs> not with, you know, if you have, if you have dedicated patient advocates like that, you can usually make a big enough fuss, make enough calls, ask for enough exceptions, get to enough supervisors, blah, 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 where it's like, you know, you, you have a decent shot of some good outcome. But, but we don't have time to do that for everybody. And there's way too many people that need that exact intervention, like that, that, and we just, uh, we're not going to be able to offer that through a program. Um, so what the hell do we do with it? Um, it's really hard. There's not enough Steves. Not enough Steves. I mean, I'd like to find Jared some more Steves, more people who could, you know, use this kind of outlet. I think there's people out there. Somebody I stayed with in Portland, I described this to her and she was like, my mom should do this. Come to think of it, I still need to connect her to Jared. And Jared and Eli and their colleagues and Steve and a lot of other volunteers are every day piling up wins, you know, big ones, small ones. I can see it on their Twitter feed. At the end of the week, Jared often posts a list of bills they've just gotten cleared, just the amounts, $15,291.64, $250 even, $112,253.94. But I get Jared's point. That's the charity care side. This negotiating part, this is freaking hard. And this is why I think it's smart that Jared and his colleagues are calling this a negotiation lab. They're experimenting, 
and they're keeping track of what happens so they can both learn how to be more effective and learn where nobody can be effective. They're piling up a big stack of receipts. At the end of the lab, I want to be able to come out with a report that we had four experts that were working on this X amount of patients to, you know, and this was the impact, but this is how many times our calls were transferred. This is how many times we were promised a call back and didn't get one. This is how many times we, this is how much time we waited on hold. This is how, you know, every data point that we could possibly put together and then come out and say, this is why this is bullshit, because then we can use that data to, to drive some, some real change. I am for it. I mean, the big picture with this stuff can be really discouraging. It's hard to see how to get out ahead of things, beat the system. But piling up wins is good, and piling up data can work. You might remember we covered it on the show last year. In Maryland, advocates got the state to pass a law saying hospitals couldn't sue people over medical debts if those people qualified for financial assistance, which, I mean, duh, of course that should be illegal. But they had to fight to make it illegal. And data was ammunition. They pulled 145,000 lawsuits that hospitals had filed over 10 years, and they were able to show who got hit with those lawsuits, often people who qualified for financial assistance. That was in 2021. Since then, Maryland has passed another law. Patients who overpaid, who were entitled to financial assistance but didn't get it, were supposed to get refunds. These kind of fights are way too hard, and there are way too many of them, but I love to see these victories. We are stuck living with this terrible system, but we do not have to accept it. And we can pass around the lessons we learn in the fight. Like listening to Eli with the debt collector on that call, that was basically a lesson. What questions do we need to ask in a situation like that? And what do the answers tell us? We're going to put together some of those takeaways in a future First Aid Kit newsletter. So look for that in your inbox later this fall. And you can sign up for those at armandalegshow.com slash newsletter. And next time in an arm and a leg, another victory, not a small one. Congress actually took action this summer that will, yes, help people on Medicare pay less for prescription drugs. One scholar who has been piling up data, fighting for changes like this for years, tweeted while the Senate was voting, haven't cried this much watching C-SPAN in a while. We'll have her with us in three weeks. Till then, take care of yourself. This episode of An Arm and a Leg was produced by me, Dan Weissman, with help from Emily Pizzacreta and edited by Marion Wang. Daisy Rosario is our consulting managing producer. Adam Raimunda is our audio wizard. Our music is by Dave Weiner and Blue Dot Sessions. Gabrielle Healy is our managing editor for audience. Lee Bosco is our consulting director of operations. Sarah Ballam is our operations manager. This season of An Arm and a Leg is a co-production with Kaiser Health News. That's a nonprofit news service about healthcare in America. It's an editorially independent program of the Kaiser Family Foundation. Kaiser Health News is not affiliated with Kaiser Permanente, the big healthcare outfit. They share an ancestor, the 20th century industrialist Henry J. Kaiser. When he died more than 50 years ago, he left half his money to the foundation that later created Kaiser Health News. You can learn more about him and Kaiser Health News at armandalegshow.com slash Kaiser. Diane Weber is national editor for broadcast at Kaiser Health News. She's editorial liaison to this show. Thank you to Public Narrative. That's a Chicago-based group that helps journalists and nonprofits tell better stories for serving as our fiscal sponsor, allowing us to accept tax-exempt donations. You can learn more about Public Narrative at www.publicnarrative.org. And those donations support this show. If you're not a donor yet, 
We would love to have you. Come on by to www.armandlegshow.com support.